0: In the age of rapidly changing technology, when we think of work productivity, we often underestimate the importance of our most critical tool, our brain. In this episode, I speak to Dr. Eric Reese, an expert in the neuroscience of human performance and productivity, about how we can work at our best and achieve tremendous productivity
1: in a flow state. Our brains are so powerful and so amazing when we really understand the depth and the breadth of what they can do and how they can execute, a whole new world of possibilities opens up because we understand the brain, we can understand how to maximize the business to a greater degree because we're using people.
0: Dr. Eric Reese is a peak performance consultant, executive health coach, and national speaker with over seven years of clinical experience working with some of the most complex neurological and metabolic conditions throughout the world. He believes the connection between optimal neurological function and physical health is essential to understanding how to fully maximize brain function and cognitive performance in the workplace. So, ready to learn more about what you can do to help your brain work at its best? Let's discuss. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this is Humans Now and Then.
1: Dr. Eric Reese, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. That's the that's probably that's probably the better thing we should start off with. I appreciate it. I'm excited to hang out and learn some things from you and um, hopefully share some good knowledge with your viewers.
0: Well, likewise. So, let's talk a little bit about your work. So, your company Shift to Great does some work in helping people find maybe a balance between their own well-being and maybe their own greatness at work and how they can bring their best of themselves to work. So, why don't you talk a little bit about the work that you do?
1: At the end of the day, our goal and our mission is to really allow people to live their highest quality of life while enjoying the, you know, what they get to do at work. And I think there's a really big imbalance between our work-life integration or our work-life balance as we've all tried to have it. And so you know we, we don't really like balance because it's kind of like you're trying to juggle two things at once. And it really... It's all part of your life. It's all affecting you neurologically. It's all affecting you uh, mentally and emotionally. And with Shift, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to change the way that we view uh, business life integration. And what that means is we're in the middle of a pandemic with COVID, right? We've also been in the middle of a pandemic for the last 20 to 30 years with regards to how our work is really affecting our quality of life. And a lot of this started when I was in the office and in the clinic and seeing patients. I work in a clinic where we work with a lot of people who are neurologically compromised. So people who have concussions, brain injuries, different types of cognitive disorders, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, I mean, you name it, I've probably seen it, unfortunately, for better or for worse. And the amazing part about that is that everybody has a brain and everybody has a brain that can change and grow and get better and and improve. Even when you have some of these really hard, uh, really long, kind of drawn out neurological conditions. And what I was seeing is I was seeing people get better. And I was like, man, this is so cool. I mean, the brain is so cool. We know very little about it. But what we do know, I mean, we, we understand that things can change until the day we die. And so what I was seeing with a lot of my Individuals who are still able to work and, and, and have so many things going on is they were getting better, but in some way, shape or form, their business or their work was like stopping their ability to really vastly make changes and get back to having the highest quality of life possible. So, you know, I started Shift because I saw a necessity within the sphere of saying, okay, how can we help more people live a healthier life and really have their cake and eat it too? And so with Shift, what we're trying to do is we're trying to change the way that we work. We're trying to change the way that businesses uh, invest in their employees and viewing them as assets and really understand how to get employees to be more productive at work, how to help with employee retention, how to decrease uh, employee burnout. Two, uh, we want companies to make more money. And so, you know, we've, we're kind of hitting this. Point where technology is vastly changing and we're growing on social platforms and we're trying to increase our ability to communicate and share information. But not many people are truly looking at finding ways to help people actually increase their productivity. And we know that people actually can because they have a brain, they have a brain that changes. And, you know, for the most part, our workforce is is in an interesting situation. Um, Gallup actually found that 85% of our employees report being disengaged and are actively disengaged, meaning that they are intentionally taking actions to not do their work. And this results in like $7 trillion lost in workplace productivity. So we're really missing out on a lot of benefits by not looking at some of these factors that can help us become less distracted and more productive just from a neurological standpoint. So uh, my company, Shift, is trying to take a, a big chunk out of that to say, how can we maximize productivity while maximizing profits? More importantly, helping people maximize their brains and bodies to maximize business. And so we're looking at finding as many ways as possible uh, to be able to help people just become better employees, but even more importantly, just live a higher quality of life as a result of them being able to go to work and also still having a home life as well.
0: That's fantastic. So I can relate to a lot of things that you just talked about from my even my own personal experience with work. I had experienced burnout a few years ago. So very significant burnout where, um, you know, I was having chest pains, I couldn't sleep, I was having constant headaches, I couldn't focus, you know, someone would say a sentence to me. And by the time that sentence was over, I couldn't remember what they said. It was so bad that I actually went to speak to a doctor, a neurologist, and like, am I going to get better? I was afraid that this was going to be my permanent cognitive state. It was so bad. But organizations starting to recognize the employees that are kind of experiencing burnout to various levels, whether they, you know, maybe more mild or maybe more severe, like the the case that I had, do you feel that organizations are becoming more aware of how work demands, um, especially when you compare them against maybe the other multiple demands that people have in their lives, have impacted not only employees' physical health and well-being, but also their ability to do their work effectively?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's a great question. I think companies are becoming more aware of the impact that their workplace demands are having on individuals or just overall lives in general. I guess the better question is what are they doing about it? And you know covid has thrown an interesting wrench into all of this because people since the beginning of march or you know early on in in our springtime have been working from home so you know they were kind of forced into a situation to try and figure things out and i think a lot of companies are realizing how important the employee's just general health and well-being is for their ability to execute in their job and at their workplace so i think there are a lot of companies that are becoming more aware of it The bigger question is, what are they going to do about it? And to be honest with you, you know, I've been getting some feedback from some of my clients and some of my coaching clients that, you know, they're realizing the impact that quality of life is having on workplace productivity. This pandemic has vastly changed nearly every industry and that's for better and that's for worse. Some are doing very well, like Zoom and construction companies and groceries, but some are really bottoming out and, and you know we have bankruptcies going on, things like that. A lot of companies are realizing that their models need to change. And some you know may not have that capacity to because they don't have the luxury of being able to change an entire industry, but companies that are able to pivot and shift and, and change the way that they do business, more importantly, the change the way that they place demands on their employees... Um, those are the ones that are going to come out of this being even better. And that's really where SHIFT is trying to bridge that gap is to say, you know, we have a problem here. Uh, let us help you fix it. And let's really more importantly too, let's help you imp- increase your productivity by not having to invest in m- new machinery or new technology or having to hire more people. We can get people to put an eight-hour workday in five or six hours. And I'm a firm believer in that because I've seen people do it. And because what they've been able to do is they've been able to harness their ability to utilize their brains to a higher degree and minimizing distractions, making sure that they're on task, chunking time to be able to block off specific periods during the day for you just to get work done. I mean, distractions are a really big deal for us. And it's really becoming an issue for a lot of us because the length of a distraction. So let's say Rebecca, you and I are in the office and you come over and you chit chat with me and we chat for about five minutes. After that conversation, it takes as long as that conversation was for me to really get back into my work to be in a flow state or a higher level of cognitive processing. So, you know, this is a really big deal for a lot of companies, a lot of industries. We're just really vastly looking for ways to get people to have greater output without having the burnout that everyone's so used to. And you're a classic example of that, right? I mean, you were working hard, uh, you were trying to fulfill your quota for your company. And I'm not trying to stop people from doing that. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to facilitate them being able to execute at their work, but also not have the sacrifice of having health problems. Because we know in the United States, especially, you know, we're in a really tough spot from an economic, but also a healthcare standpoint of a lot of comorbidities, people having heart issues, people having cardiovascular issues, you know, diabetes is a big problem for us too. That's really been exposed with COVID, but we had all this stuff before and a lot of it comes from our lifestyle choices, our quality of life. And a lot of it too will stem from what we do at work and what we don't do at work. So I see a lot of change coming in a a relatively short period of time, not only because of what COVID has placed on us, but more importantly too, I think that companies are really trying to pivot and and assess every single aspect of their business now to make sure that they're running as lean as possible. And uh, the beauty of that is the brain is always changing and our brains are so powerful and so amazing When we really understand the depth and the breadth of what they can do and how they can execute, a whole new world of possibilities opens up because we understand the brain. We can understand how to maximize the business to a greater degree because we're using people. And, and, And that will never go away, no matter how advanced we become with AI or technology. We'll always need people to be able to critically think and to process information. There's no computer out there that even comes close to the capacity of the brain for being able to process multiple inputs in scenarios and situations. And that's really why I see neuroscience uh, coming in junction with business. And I think that's a pretty uh, interesting component to throw into the mix that we really haven't investigated up until I'd say probably like five, 10 years ago.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating stuff. And I think sometimes people don't really make that, you know, real connection. Obviously, we know we have brains, we know we use them to think. Uh, we know that we use them to remember stuff and, and those kind of things. Um, I think there's a lot of awareness that people need to have between the connection of their cognitive health and their mental well-being and how that impacts their physical well-being, but also their ability to do their work or you know live their lives in ways that are fulfilling and meaningful. One of the things that I think, um, when I think kind of back to my own experience and some of the experience that I've seen from other folks that have um, gone through burnout is it's driven by some level of anxiety. And a lot of folks probably don't tag it as anxiety, you know, initially. That anxiety is often driven by this desire to feel successful or maybe this desire to do so well, um, to avoid the perception that you've made mistakes to present yourself in a way that might get you recognized or get you promoted, but that creates some low-level anxiety over time that can be very difficult to work at their best. And so what's your thoughts around that anxiety or fear that sometimes people have in relation to their work and that drive to feel or be successful?
1: Yes, yeah, stress does interesting things to us, doesn't it? Oh, you. Over the last 20, 30 years, we've had an interesting conversation about stress and a lot of people view stress as a very negative thing. And, and to a point, too much stress obviously will always have a negative impact on your brain and body. We know what stress hormones do to the brain. They actually can shrink specific areas of the brain. They can make us more prone to having stress and anxiety uh, and depression, um, all all of those psychological factors that, that are pretty well established at this point. But we we actually need stress. and um, We need stress to grow, to change, to adapt. And... It's an important factor for us to engage our brains in a specific way for us to grow. And what I mean by that is, you know, let take, for instance, like working out, right? You go to the gym, everyone knows that to, to maintain your health, you need to be physically active. Well, when you go to the gym and you lift weights, well, what are you doing? You're, you're really stressing your brain and your body and your tissues to change and adapt. And you're breaking them down. That's what goes on. But the, the beauty of that is when you're away and you go to sleep, you're recovering, your body's repairing those tissues, you're repairing those pathways, you're allowing your brain and body to be able to handle that stimuli to a greater degree the next time you encounter it. So the next time you go into the gym and you lift weights, maybe you do more reps, maybe you do more sets, maybe you can do a, another workout and you, you build tolerance and you build up more reserves to be able to handle that. And that's kind of the same thing with what we do in the boardroom. It's the same thing that we do when we go run a marathon or when you're raising kids, you, you build up a tolerance for a specific task. And that's what has really allowed us as a species to survive and be the top of the food chain. I mean, we've got a 40,000-year-old brain that's stuck in the 21st century. And so we're not used to all this changing technology or automation and things along those lines. Our brains are used to fighting off saber-toothed tigers and searching for food and trying to figure out what an appropriate mate would be. And so we have all these things that are hardwired into our nervous system for us as far as perception and taking action. And when we put ourselves into a situation where we're stuck in front of a computer for eight to 10 hours a day, we're not allowed to move, we're not allowed to you know, do different things that innately we kind of need to do to facilitate proper brain function, things start to break down. And the stress response and the anxiety that people feel is really just the brain consistently changing over time. And we see this with a lot of pain syndromes. For some people who, let's say classically, for instance, like low back pain, there's a lot of people in the United States who suffer from just, you know, non-specific low back pain. And what happens is the low back starts to generate some pain in some, for some reason, in some way, shape or form. And over time, that back pain starts to propagate more pain and propagate more pain. And people talk about the term neuroplasticity, which means that your brain has the ability to change and rewire and form new connections and be able to essentially change the internal wiring of your brain to a degree. Now, this is a process that vastly occurs with young children, uh, especially between the ages of like, you know, zero and 10, where, you know, they're learning new things and they're changing and growing, developing really fast. We all possess that capacity uh, until the day we die. It's just we don't have as great of a capacity as, as a child would just little sponges absorbing the world. And and we still have that. It's just not as big to a degree as as we would when we were young. But uh, the amazing part about that is you can rewire the brain. And so what happens with pain is you can rewire the brain or the spinal cord or these different neural networks, but that's for better and that's for worse. Because when you get into a situation with pain or you get into a situation with stress, neurons that fire together will wire together. Now, the problem with that is... If you're starting to fire pathways that promote pain, you're going to experience more pain more frequently, even when that first stimulation of pain may or may not be there. The same thing is true with stress. The more that you fire and wire these pathways that perceive stress, the more you're going to feel stressed, even when you're in a situation where there's no reason for you to be stressed. And this is kind of where we find this junction between neuroscience and entrepreneurship is, well, where's that sweet spot? I mean, we need to have stress in some way, shape, or form to facilitate growth and change and development and learn new things. But too much stress actually shuts the brain down. And it specifically shuts down the area of the brain that we need for critical thinking, for controlling emotions, for planning and executing, and that's the frontal lobe. And that's essentially the CEO of the brain. That's where we all cognitively live, where we you know, have emotions and make decisions and we, we have a personality and have executive functions. So you know, it's, it's a relative conversation because some people inherently can handle more stress than others. And I think we've all seen that with the places that we work with is there's always that one person who just seems like they're so resilient and they can handle everything. And then there's that one person who just completely falls apart if they spill coffee somewhere, or they have some small event that occurs and all of a sudden that cascade just completely overwhelms them. And what I would argue is the best way to build your brain and body to handle stress, to have that stress tolerance, is to take care of the brain. And the way you do that is by eating well, thinking well, moving well, sleeping well, having good conversations, things that we've known for quite some time that can give you additional health benefits. It's just, as Jim Rowan says, what's easy to do is also easy not to do. And so uh, what we've really done with SHIFT is there's there's been a really interesting disconnect between people knowing what to do, but not knowing the why behind what they do. And so, for instance, one example of that is, you know, looking at the gut, looking at nutrition. You know, we're finding out now that digestive dysfunction and gut issues can precede the onset of Parkinson's, can precede the onset of Alzheimer's, can precede the onset of multiple sclerosis by like 10 to 15 years now. And so even though we classically viewed these different neurological disorders as brain-based disorders, what we're finding out is that they start off as a metabolic or dietary inflammatory issue in the gut or digestive system that gradually makes its way to the central nervous system and the brain and starts affecting tissue that way. So if you're not up to date with some of that latest research or if nobody's educated you on any of those components... You have no idea what's going on. And you think, you know, food's just food, but we really have to understand that a lot of this stuff is just helping us rebuild uh the, the brain and the body that we have. And the food and the things you put into your body are really the raw materials to help you rebuild that house. So there are multiple components with that. And coming back to stress, we know that different foods could promote different types of stressors. We just have to understand what they're doing to our brain. And more importantly, educate people on how to create healthy habits to promote good quality of life and good business practices
0: oh yeah certainly i think that's a lot of a lot of truth <laughs> There's a lot of truth in that and what you said there's a couple of things i want to talk about and i'm going to get back to flow in a second because i think that's an important thing and it's a great tool for people to find their best work or the best, get the best out of themselves i'm gonna i'm gonna float something by you that i've been thinking about lately that kind of goes back to that scenario that you talked about a minute ago. So we think about the people at work that might handle stress a little bit differently. Some folks um, displaying more resilience in certain circumstances than others. One of the things I've thought a lot about in relation to the context of organizations, people having different circumstances in life. And I know earlier you talked a little bit about kind of context switching, right? We, we have a conversation with someone for a few minutes. It takes us a minute to kind of get back to what we were doing, um, and then we can move forward. There's a lot of folks that have maybe different things happening in their life outside of work. And sometimes there might be, I say, more of that than for others, right? So if you have someone who has a lot of context switching in their life because they have maybe um, parents they're caring for, uh, children at home, uh, disruption at home of whatever sort, um, dealing with illness, dealing with disease, we're going to have a lower capacity, I think, to handle anything additional that comes at us. Is there something that organizations can do to be aware of the fact that people are dealing with different circumstances in their lives and because of that might handle things differently or might display a different level of resilience with
1: everything that might be thrown at them at any given point in time? It's a great question. And I'm a firm believer that there are multiple things that can be done. I think the first thing that needs to happen is that there just needs to be open communication. And the way that you facilitate that as a business is to show your employees that you actually care, have those conversations, ask them, you know, personal questions. But I mean you don't have to get too in-depth. Just say, you know, how are things going? You know, just building that relationship and establishing trust is such a key factor in, in truly engaging employees because then the employees actually know that you care. If you only talk to your employees at the Christmas party every year, that's not really going to build a trusting bond between you and your employees and your coworkers. And I think that's one of the things that we're unfortunately seeing with people working from home is that those, you know, water cooler conversations that people are having aren't really going on as much as they used to be. Now, to a point, one could argue, yeah, well, those were a waste of time and those weren't really facilitating, you know, business profitability, things on like that, you know, You can argue that, but you have to understand, too, that those connections and those deep conversations that people have are the reason why they enjoy working. You know, the the people you surround yourself with at work are really one of the top factors as to why a lot of people stay at their jobs. And especially uh, when money becomes involved. Uh, There are a lot of statistics showing that employees will stay for leaders or managers or bosses that they really enjoy working with, even if they have an opportunity to go make more money at a different workplace, or if they have an opportunity to take on a new role, even within the organization, a lot of people stay because of the leaders that they have above them. So I think it all starts with communication. And, And this is just one thing, unfortunately, that we're not seeing as frequently as we should is people having those hard conversations people asking for feedback and that goes from leaders asking their subordinates and vice versa being open for feedback being open for suggestions and more importantly too sometimes giving those suggestions and having those conversations can really build a lot of trust because you're all trying to grow together and with that being said when you do start growing and you're growing together then you're a team right you start forming those bonds and You're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. It's like any relationship. So I think the first thing that needs to happen is there needs to be open and free communication. And I know that's always easier said than done, but it's so vital and it's so key for organizations to be able to maximize productivity because when your employees trust you and you trust your employees... You're not going to have to micromanage. You're not going to have to have these conversations that are relevant. You can have an open platform where people can actually come in and have a conversation with you and talk to you. And, and once you start building that trust, you're going to start having people open up to you about these different personal factors, what's going on in their personal life, how they're handling it. And you really build this tribe of trust between your employees and your, and your business because everybody's on the same page and they're looking out for you. And the mental health component of work is a really big factor because they're finding out that if you're not happy in your personal life, you're not going to be happy in your professional life. And happiness is such a interesting conversation to have with people because it's such a relative term. But more importantly, too, happiness can literally change the brain. And they've done some of these studies before too, just looking into what happiness actually does for, for us from a standpoint of a productivity. And so it's interesting when you really get into it because happiness, like I said, is, is a relative term. What makes you happy? Well, for me, that's me hanging out in a room, playing guitar and petting my dog, right? For somebody else, maybe that's them reading a book and, and being on a patio. For somebody else, maybe that's them coding for a couple hours because that's their passion. Happiness changes our brains because what it does is it facilitates different networks to be more aware of our environment. It changes our emotions. Uh, a lot of serotonin and dopamine processing can be altered too. And the cool thing with it is that it literally can rewire a brain to be more aware of happiness. They've done studies where they will put different types of individuals in a negative state. So let's say, uh, you know, this event happened or, um, you know, some sort of external situation is occurring where we're now you are stressed out. And what they'll do is they'll do take a different group and they'll say, hey, you know, you're gonna win a million dollars or you just found out that your wife is pregnant, things along those lines that will make you happy. And what they find is that from a cognitive processing standpoint, these people are all relatively in the same category of their IQ, their intelligence, their, you know, sex, gender, all that stuff. What they find is that depending on the state of their brain, whether in a negative or a positive uh, mindset state, they will perform differently on cognitive-based tests. What happens is when you are set in a negative state or when you are stressed, when you are dealing with more anxiety, things along those lines, your brain kind of limits your ability to be creative with thinking. Your brain is stuck in more of a pessimistic mode. You are unable to have as many deep conversations. And you're actually, your vocabulary changes. You are limited to the types of words that you use. And those who are in a happiness or a positive state, they see more things. If they're shown you know, two different pictures, they're able to see more of their environment. They're able to describe more things in more vivid uh, aspects. They're able to come up with more creative conversations and creative thoughts, different ways of thinking to solve problems. So, you know, mindset is a really key component to a lot of this stuff. And, And some people are just in tough situations. And I think that's why it's so important for us to have that communication and build that trust. And then more importantly, too, be there to support our communities as far as businesses and leadership goes, because that's really the only way we're going to get people to be able to get through some of that stuff without them starting to have some of the personal, psychological and health uh, consequences as a result of their situation. So um, I know that I unpacked a lot on all of that stuff. But long story short, I think communication will always be key. And you have to build that trust in order to facilitate uh, moving forward.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely true. I think there's such a interesting and important symbiotic relationship between trust and honesty. So if you have a supervisor-employee relationship in particular where you have both trust and honesty, that really does allow that employee to feel more confident, I think, in the work that they're doing, that they feel like someone's got their back. They feel like they're going to know if they've done something wrong or understand when there's opportunities to improve. Um, And that's really, really vital, I think, for a healthy workplace relationship. But I think one of the other things, and I said I was going to get back to flow and I'm going to do that because I think some of the things that you just wove into that conversation do kind of tie back to that concept of flow. And one of the things that stuck out to me it's something that I realized about myself. And so I usually talk about this in terms of what I call energy management. So things that drain our energy and things that bring us energy and how we leverage that to do better work or do more in our lives. For me, I'm a very creative person. I like to oil paint. So um, I remember um, the last time I went on a, a painting retreat, it was three days. I went and painted plein air, so out in the countryside for three days. And when I left and started driving home, I realized looking around me just in the landscape driving home, how the colors were more vivid. So you were talking about noticing more and opening up your mind to different things. And I experienced that when I've been painting And I think what's really interesting is to think about how we open up different parts of our mind that bring us that energy, that bring us that joy and the benefit of that and how that can carry us forward into doing our best work. So let's talk a little bit about that, about finding and unlocking those little parts of your brain that allow you to do your best work and put you in a state of what we might call flow, where you get lots of energy. You're able to use that energy towards your passion and your purpose.
1: I think you said something really interesting because I assume... Uh, that you took that same road to the retreat that you did as you did coming back. And so the question is, why did your brain perceive things differently after you went to that retreat versus before? Because you technically were exposed to the same stimuli, same trees, same environment, things along those lines. And, And that essentially just really reinforces what I was talking about is, you know, you have an event or you have an emotion or you have some sort of environmental thing that changes you, right? You went to a retreat, your brain changed. You know, we know what art does to the brain. It really lights up a lot of networks that don't always talk to each other, which is why you perceive things differently after that. And now you're different. And now you know that you can use that as a tool to change your neurological state. And that's so powerful. And this, this whole conversation about being in a flow state is, is really Interesting, and a lot of professional athletes, a lot of musicians, a lot of people who need to get in those flow states to be productive. And this is especially true with people who write books. What they will do is they will do different activities to facilitate their brains and their minds to get into that flow state, and then they will just go. And being in a flow state is a really interesting concept. And you know, if you've ever played sports or if you've ever had to work on a project or something that you really enjoy, Rebecca, this could have been you oil painting. You find yourself almost lost in time, but you're very intentional with your actions. And flow state is well studied to a point with regards to limb looking at fMRIs and, and finding, you know, what makes people tick and what changes neurologically. But every single person has a different flow state. And I think that's where it's a little bit more difficult is to help people get into a flow state for them. Your flow state may be different than my flow state. And that's okay. That's, that's why our brains are different. And that's why variation in life is, is so beautiful. Everyone has their different flavor, but. You know, coming back to that conversation, flow states are really states of mental stamina and mental awareness where we can focus and 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 really prioritize one task. And it's kind of like meditating. A lot of people think that when you go to meditate, that you can just clear all your thoughts, and that's gonna, you know, that's gonna be it. It doesn't happen that way. Any you know experienced meditator will tell you that. You know, they can clear a lot of their thoughts, but they still have intentionable thoughts that they're focused on or they're they're focused on a a question or a thought or a specific, you know, aspect of their life that they're trying to figure out and process on a deeper level. it's the same thing with a flow state. I play a lot of guitar, so I'm I'm really curious as to, you know, what's going on in like, you know, Jimi Hendrix's mind or Brian May with Queen. Like what do they experience when they're on stage playing amazing solos or these songs? They don't really experience anything. Like they're not really focused on playing every single note and nailing every single thing because what happens is the brain will interrupt that flow state if you start fixating on these specific components. They have just gotten their brains and bodies to be on autopilot so efficiently that their brains and nervous systems take over. And they're still consciously aware of a lot of things, but they find themselves into this deep flow state. And it takes practice, it takes trying to figure out You know, different components of how to get there and everyone's different. Like I said, but everybody has that capacity to do that. And this is where we can kind of circle back into where does this come in for business? Well, I want every single one of my employees to be in a peak flow state at all times. It's not always possible to have everybody be there, but that's why time chunking is so powerful is it allows you enough time without interruptions to hit that flow state and to be productive. And to put an eight-hour workday in six hours because if you limit distractions and you limit things that will take you out of that flow state, then you're going to be able to get more work done in less time because your brain's able to facilitate all of these processes at a higher level. It's kind of like updating your software for four or five hours during the day and finding this peak performance component for your computer. The hard part with that is over time, we know, and this is just how we operate, we run out of energy. We run out of uh, stamina. We run out of willpower. And it's a really interesting conversation to have because there's this concept in psychology called ego depletion. And it surrounds the situation of the question as to, you know, why does Mark Zuckerberg wear the same t shirt and pants every day to work? People think he's just weird or, you know, all of this stuff. And, and realistically, maybe he has other factors going on, but it's brilliant because what he's doing is he knows every day what he's going to wear. And what he's done is he's limited those simple choices that he has to make in the morning to to get dressed in the morning. What that does is that allows him more bandwidth and more willpower during the day to make other decisions for Facebook as to whether they should change things with Libra, whether they should change the way that they're doing their ads with political conversations. You know, he's saving his bandwidth to make more relevant decisions to promote his business or to promote his longevity than he is wasting it on, should I brush my teeth this morning? What shirt should I wear? Oh, what shoes should I wear? And so what happens is ego depletion says, you only have so much energy or so much willpower to make decisions. The more decisions you have to make during the day, the less you have of that willpower or of that bandwidth later in the day. And this is one of the reasons why when people start out with a new diet or a new lifestyle, You know they're they're good in the morning, right? They're like, yep, I'm gonna eat healthy in the morning and all of a sudden, by the end of the day, they look at that chocolate cake and they're like, "Ah, I think I'm gonna break down and I'm probably gonna go eat that. It's, It's one of those reasons for why a lot of people do what they do over time is they deplete their ability to truly utilize their brains to make good decisions. And so if you've had to figure out all of these different choices, even within the first hour of the day, That's a very different conversation than you getting up, you have your clothes set out the night before, you know exactly what you're going to wear, your lunch is already packed, and you get up and go. You limited so many decisions that really aren't relevant to your life or your ability to be successful just by preparing yourself. And so a really simple thing that I suggest people to do is just prepare for the next day, the night before you actually have it. Set your clothes out, make your lunch, put your workout clothes there, know which workout you're going to do before you get into the gym so you're not in the gym wasting all this energy and all these different processes going on before you actually get into the gym. You're going to be tired just because of that. So there are some simple things that we can do to keep us into a flow state and minimizing distractions and more importantly, too, being proactive with the actions and the habits that we want to facilitate is a really good way for us to make sure that we're set up for success, both in our personal and professional lives. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I can definitely tie that back to the analogy I often use about the energy bank account. So. We, if we all had a bank account of our energy, we have an account, we deposit our energy into or we take our energy out of, you've got to be really mindful about how you budget your energy. And so I really like that thought around, what can you do to make your life simpler? So you can spend more energy on those things that are more meaningful, and really maybe apply them to your purpose in life to find that version of success that applies to you. So I think that um, that's pretty powerful
1: advice for folks. You're And you're 100% right. It is. Because a lot of people take for granted the fact that I can just make this decision, I can make this choice. But if you really want to maximize your day, you will maximize every aspect of that. And that means making decisions the day before to maximize the decisions for the next day.
0: Absolutely. So um, let me ask you something. I'm going to switch gears on you for a second. Let's talk a little bit about the future. So what are some of the things that make you
1: optimistic about the future? Great question. Well, to start off, I'm a forever optimist. So for me, the glass is always half full, even with us being in the current state of affairs that we are right now. I think that this is a really important wake up call for a lot of people. Um, not only from a business standpoint, but from a health standpoint, I think it's really exposed a lot of weaknesses in our public health. Uh, it's exposed a lot of weaknesses in our personal health. Um, people need to realize that their health is is in their control and in their hands every day with the actions what they take for what they put in their mouth, what they put on their body, what they decide to do with their body. And so I, I think that this coming out of the pandemic and, and really understanding how all this stuff is affected, it's, you know, it's changed everything. It literally has changed everything. And people will be different coming out of the pandemic and coming out of all of this stuff that we're dealing with in the United States with you know social injustice and things along those lines. You're either going to come out better or you're either going to come out worse And with shift, we are trying to facilitate as much positive change as possible. And so I am forever an optimist. And I think that things are going to be better after this. That doesn't come without the consequences of, you know, companies filing for bankruptcy or people maybe losing their jobs. But we have to understand that our perceptions and the way that we view this will change the outcomes that we have. Two people may lose the exact same job. But one is excited because now they get to pursue a different career that they've always wanted to go after. And the other one may be so bitter that they never change and they never get out of it. And they think that they're no longer worthy of work. And for me, it's a difference in mindset. But more importantly, too, both of those people possess the possibility and the capability to improve and get better and do something even better than what they were doing the day before. So I'm always forever optimistic. And I think right now is a really interesting time too for companies to start looking into more health-related measures to help provide more support for their employees. And so the health of an individual secondarily will affect the health of the business because of the fact that every single one of those people is gonna come to work. And we know that healthy people take less sick days. We know that healthy people have more employee engagement We know that healthy people are going to bring more of a positive attitude to the workplace. They're going to connect with their peers more frequently. They're going to have more conversations. So I'm forever an optimist with this. Like I said, it won't come without negative consequences. But I think overall, we're going to come out better than we did uh, going into all of it.
0: Right. I think there's a lot of great opportunities, especially as you mentioned, when you think about your mindset and thinking about what you can actually do or what actions can you take to be able to shape that future that you envision or that you see yourself in. So I'm going to ask you a question that might be a little bit more challenging for a forever optimist, which is what might make
1: you concerned about the future? Well, as an optimist there's there's a point where you have to realize and not everything is going to make you happy and not everything's going to be perfect in the world, right? So we can't just think, oh, life is going to be great and easy because a lot of times it's not. And if you think it's going to always be that way, well, then you're in for a rude awakening. One thing that concerns me is that people become complacent and or reactive with regards to some of the things that come out of all of this. And so, you know, with SHIFT, we're always trying to help people facilitate proactive steps, creating healthy habits, understanding that, you know, health doesn't just come at some moment. Health is continuously being facilitated and evolved as a result of the decisions that we make, right? Healthy food choices. You know, you may have a burger and fries, one night, that's not going to facilitate you having cardiovascular disease the next day. But the repetitive steps over and over and over again are really where we start seeing all of this stuff add up and having that compound effect over time. So you know, one thing that does concern me is that with all of this stuff, people just at the end of the day, they get stuck or they feel lost or they feel that there's no place for them to go to truly get back on their feet. And um, when we start going down that road... The more people start believing that, the more their reality will reinforce it. And I think that's a really tough spot. And my goal is always to get into those situations and intervene and try and change people for better and not for worse. My worry is that a lot of people are in a situation where they start feeling like they are stuck or they've hit a plateau. And when they've made their mind up about that, they truly believe it. And then their reality reinforces some of those things. And so the, the goal with Shift is to try and change as many people's lives in a positive way. More importantly, too, is to get more people engaged and get more businesses realizing that it's always a two-way street. If you invest in your employees, your employees will, will pay you dividends over a lifetime. So I, I would say my fear is that people feel like they're stuck. And, and more importantly, too, they feel like there's no opportunity for change.
0: Right. I think that's one of the important things that I try to talk about in my podcast here is that there's always an opportunity for change or something, doing po- something positive or meaningful. Uh, so let's, let's leave that. So what's a call to action you can give to the listeners today about changing their mindset towards the positive and making a difference in the future?
1: I, yeah, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, first and foremost, I come back to this when I talk to people just about like what, what I've done clinically and, and more importantly, what I'm, what I'm doing with shift is uh, number one, movement is always going to be the language of the brain. We know that physical exercise, no matter what it is, whether it's walking, whether it's you playing pickleball, whatever it's going to be, has vast effects on our brain's ability to make us happier, to make us healthier, to bring more oxygen to our brain, and just change the way that we view the world. I mean, the, the quickest thing that you can do is if you are stuck in a rut, or if you are stressed, or you are emotionally strained, move your body. Because your body will facilitate so many changes neurologically. And the, the body always influences the brain. And, and that's, there's a reason why babies move in the womb, right? They are moving in the, in the womb and they're navigating the world and they're, they're getting feedback from their environment. And it's a two-way street because the brain obviously has to affect the body and vice versa, the body affects the brain. So if you're stuck, if you're stressed, if you feel like there's no way to go, start moving you have to start moving because movement will always be the language of the brain. And Annette Benil was the one who said that statement because she understands the impact of movement. And for me, as an athlete and as somebody who you know works with patients and as getting into businesses to talk about you know just the brain in general, movement is the best way for you to facilitate any change in your life because it'll change serotonin and dopamine circuits. It'll change your perspective. It'll bring more oxygen to your brain and to your body and just make you feel good. I mean, we know that We have endorphins that are released when we start moving our bodies. Um, So number one, you got to move, right? Number two, I would say is people got to make sure they get sleep. We know now that sleep is so impactful with helping us consolidate memories, take the trash out um, from all of the, you know, breakdown of, cells and inflammation and garbage that we create throughout the day just by living our lives and so sleep is such an important factor for our mental health too because sleep helps us uh, facilitate a lot of neurological processing that we had throughout the day as well and you got to replenish your energy levels so i would say the top two things you got to move your body and then you got to make sure you get enough sleep if you can do those two things you're going to start noticing a change and when you start eating better, you're gonna start noticing that you have more energy. Things feel a little bit easier for you. You might have less pain or there are psychologists now that are treating mental health disorders just by changing people's nutrition. We know how impactful your food is for facilitating change in your brain and your body. That can be another great step for you too. At the end of the day, it comes down to people finding the things that really make them tick. And for me, that's playing guitar. Rebecca, for you, maybe that's you doing more oil painting. Maybe that's taking a stroll with a loved one. Maybe that's finding yourself deep into a book. We have to find ways for people to change. And the only way that's going to happen is for somebody to take that stance and to finally put their foot down and say, today, I'm going to change the way that I function. And it just starts one step. You know, people who want to get started at the gym, just put your gym shoes on and go drive to the gym. Don't even go in and then go home. And then the next day, actually go into the gym, but don't do any workouts and then go home again and just slowly over time, pattern in the fact that you have these new changes and these new habits that are going and All of a sudden, you're going to have less resistance just actually going to the gym. And it's going to be fun for you. And now you're going to start lifting weights. Same thing for you starting a new habit or a new hobby. Same thing for you eating well. Maybe you just start off with a salad a day. Or maybe it's just a part of a cucumber. You can start doing these small, simple things. Because we come into a problem when we start to have a complete lifestyle overhaul at once. It's too much for us. It facilitates stress responses. It's unrealistic for us to uphold. And that's why the diet fad only sticks around for so long. If we actually genuinely want to create lifestyle changes, those occur slowly and steadily over time. But those are the really the foundational habits that stick with us to help us get to the to the places where we really want to go. So I think there's a lot that can be done and there's a lot that could be a set outside of the short time we have on the podcast. And, you know, people know a lot of this information, but they don't always know the why behind it. You got to change your brain if you want to change your business, first and foremost. And more importantly, too, when you start doing that, you will start seeing the changes that you uh, are really looking for. Um, They're a lot simpler, and a lot easier than we really make them out to be.
0: Well, that is fantastic advice and a great call to action. So I hope all the listeners today take that one step uh, towards doing something that make meaningful change in their lives to bring that energy so they can bring the best of themselves to work and to life. So his company is Shift to Great. Dr. Eric Reese. thank you so much for joining me. This has been a great conversation.
1: Yeah, had a blast, Rebecca. Always good to talk with you. I feel like we could always talk for hours. I agree. Thanks so much.
0: Among the demands, recent disruption, and rapid pace of work, Eric reminds us what helps us work at our best. We must care for our bodies, our brains, and ourselves. Ironically, many of us have seen a resurgence in hustle culture where people forego essential needs like sleep and rest in order to pursue greater tiers of success. When we feel the pressure to do more and work harder, we must remember to ask ourselves at what cost. Certainly, Many people, especially entrepreneurs and those working in small to mid-sized companies, feel the tremendous pressure to work harder in order to gain a solid footing during uncertain economic times. However, as Eric discusses, working at our best and reaching a flow state allows us to achieve more in less time and with better results. I, too, have felt the pressure. It isn't easy balancing work, a business, a family, a podcast and somehow find the time to care for myself. And I have to admit that lately, that does come last. But I know that I've got to do better for myself. I've got to do better for my family. And I want to do better for my listeners too. I've learned through my research, through my personal transformation, through my own presentations and the tremendous guests I've had on this show, that self-care is a vital aspect in achieving success and working at our best. So I hope you forgive me a bit if I publish off schedule over the next couple weeks. My days have been long and unpredictable lately, but I'm exploring ways to stabilize my schedule and I will get back on track soon. In the meantime, to hold myself accountable, I'll post updates out on Twitter at Humans Now and Then on what I'm doing each day to help me work at my best. That being said, I know you have a lot to offer to this world in your work and beyond. I challenge you to find ways to add movement, rest, and healthy eating to your life so that your brain can work at its best. I'd love to hear more about what you're doing. So please tag Humans Now and Then on Twitter or Instagram to let me know the steps you're taking to work at your best. This will help you shape the future that you envision, and I'm sure it's going to be a great one. So go on. Go help shape the future. To learn more about Dr. Eric Reese and his company, Shift to Great, go to shifttogreat.com. That's shifttogreat.com. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this has been Humans Now and Then, hosted and produced by Rebecca Scott. Episode notes can be found at humansnowandthen.com. Thank you for listening.